gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. Yes, yes, I know how excited you are. It is me, David Campbell, taking over hosting duties for Central, making sure that this is the quickest cancelled show in ESSR history. We're killing it tonight, guys. Ready to go. Uh, hope you're all enjoying what you're hearing from us so far with this new setup on the network. Don't forget, Central. Uh, will be with you every Thursday but we've also got the ESSR feature shows that go out every Tuesday and our latest one in that uh, was a fantastic show looking at the history of the AEW women's division so go and check that out, don't forget to follow Suplex Retweet on Twitter Facebook and Instagram and all those social media you know, websites that all the youngins are using uh, I say that like I'm pure ancient, I'm no uh, but also don't forget to check out our YouTube channel where you have a really good show called Quiz Showdown uh, hosted by Daniel Campbell and an even better show hosted by me, David Campbell called The Conspiracy Theory where I give the most important opinion in wrestling yeah, that's right, my opinion on every subject it's great because it's all about me I love it so much anyway, introducing my guest today for this second instalment in the Central Series first up, I had a lot of stuff written about this man that I was ready to say uh, however, then I realised that he produces The Conspiracy Theory so he could really screw me over in that ladies and gentlemen, it's Daniel Campbell Thank you very much for remembering that, and I am very happy to produce a show that features the most important opinion in the pod's <laughs> history. I didn't realise that the GOAT was secretly Dave Meltzer. <laughs> I don't have star ratings, I have horn ratings. That is what, that is what I deal with, you know. Take of that what you will. <laughs> Ladies sure. and gentlemen, introducing, <laughs> <laughs> introducing our second guest on today's show. She is rocking some lovely cat uh, headphones today uh, that you can buy from her personal website, sarahgreave.shop.com. Uh, but in more interesting, important news, she is also the ESSR champion, having won the sweepstake uh, this weekend. Please welcome Sarah Greave. Hello. How are you, Sarah? How's life treating you? Life is very, very good. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here quite happy as the reigning, the reigning champion. My third reign ever thought I could mm. see the day. Yes, but we are here. Uh, we are living in these times. 2020 is a strange uh, year indeed. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is fitting that he's sitting in darkness right now because in my personal life, he is the Lord of Darkness. Uh, he's talking about Japan in the first second of this show, but he'll somehow find a way to criticise my draft choices nonetheless, I think. <laughs> Welcome. He is the host of Saturday Draft Live. It is Scott McLeod. <laughs> Well, I didn't talk about you, David, because I'd rather that, but you just keep coming back. You just have to keep putting your big head in everybody's business. Listen, listen, everyone's business. My head is huge, all right? It's very hard not to find my way into other people's business, um, but it's good to have you, Scott. Our, our wee rivalry aside, it's good to have you. It's good to see you, if I could see you, but it's good to see you. Anyway, last stop. <laughs> you look like a Funko Pop of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> Last up, there is there is no one who loves a cheap plug better than this man. So much, in fact, he set his podcast as the background for himself in this Zoom call. Please welcome Pod Sixty Seven's own Ryan Gallagher, <laughs> which is very very funny coming from Mister Full Time Fitba there uh, with his, his own background as well. So, bit rich for you guys. I just want to apologise for my my delay in joining the show this evening. Um, I normally would come on and make up some excuse about how I was busy. I was doing something else. No. I was actually catching up in Coronation Street. Big Jeff oh. get caught this week. Big no. Jeff get caught. Yes. He by Sally, caught. by Tim. Who caught him? Both of them, mate. Wow, the double whammy. They right, you should have said spoiler alert. No, they fund the laptop. They fund everything that was on it. Mate, it's not a spoiler alert. People know what Jeff's like. Now he's been caught. He's been right. caught tonight. Oh, and I was oh. absolutely buzzing to get here. But I feel like I kind of stepped into a Campbell live in there at the very start of this. So I'm glad I've got two reasonably sane people that aren't called Campbell on this. Listen, the Campbells will kill you in their sleep. That's our, that's the history of our family. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's the history of our clan. Yes, the clan. Uh, we're getting on to news that I know nothing about. Um, the newest Japanese professional wrestling is a company, I've been told. Uh, and they have a tournament called the Gi Climax. And I kid not. I know what it's called. It's the G1 Climax. It's the tournament that New Japan do every single year. And it will be coming back this year. Uh, the winner of the tournament gets a shot at the IWGP Heavyweight Championship at Wrestle Kingdom, which sounds like a very, very big deal. Um, Sarah, if you want to explain to us quickly before we review the participants of this tournament, how, how is this tournament set up? How is it different to, to other wrestling tournaments? Right, so you've got to start off, you've got two different blocks uh, full of competitors. So you've got A block and you've got B block. And it is, it is basically just a round-robin tournament um, where every competitor in each of the blocks will face one another until mm. you get to um, basically the top two, like the top people of each block will then face each other in preparation to try and see who will be that G1 Climax winner and who will go on and face uh, the champion at the time um, at Wrestle Kingdom the following year. It's all fun. Nice. Oh, it sounds it sounds riveting stuff. Uh, Scott, you are of course the host of East Meets West, uh, which you can find on Eat Sleep Super Sleep. Tell us briefly why should we be excited about the G One? What is the what's the style of the G One? What's the legacy of the G One? Why is it that we should make sure we're paying close attention to this tournament? Because it usually has some of the best matches of the year. Uh, every time it comes around, you know, this is where Kenny Omega still first got his name as the best bout machine, knocking out five star performance after five star performance. You can, you never can really tell what you're going to see with all the unique matchups with different people in each block. Uh, it's one of the more unique and one of the most grueling tournaments uh, in all of wrestling. And if you want to find out even more about it, how it got started, we're doing cheap plugs. You can look back in our back catalogue. Where we did <laughs> all about the history of the G1 climax with myself, Grant, Stephen Wilson. As I said before, it's basically an episode of East Meets West, but Stephen Wilson's thrown in there, even though we didn't ask for him. <laughs> and you can find that episode right here in Glasgow, Scotland. Bang, bang. <laughs> <laughs> 
So anyway, the what the, what makes this newsworthy is that, that today New Japan announced who will be competing in this year's G1 Climax. They're going to run down the list of names here um, and try and not butcher any of them. So I'm just so co- glad you never asked me to do this, mate. I'm so glad. <laughs> Ryan, could you do it? No, I can't so we have <laughs> so we have Kota Abushi, we have Ton- Tomohiro Ishii, uh, we have uh, Kuzukicha Akada, uh, Shingo Taka. God, Takaji. <laughs> then, then we have Yujiro Ta- Takahashi. Yujiro Takahashi. Then we have Tai Chi. Then we have Minuro Suzuki. Then we have Jeff Cobb. Will Ospreay and Jay White yeah. completes A Block. We then have B Block, which is Hiroshi Tanahashi, whose name I think I've already said. Uh, then we have. <laughs> Haruki Goto Mate, I was literally just about to say I'm pretty sure you've said that Missy, but I'll double duty in this <laughs> Then we have to- Toru Yano uh, I know who Yano is I'm just going to call him Yano Then we have Yoshihashi All caps uh, Then we have Sanada All caps uh, Tetsuya Naito Evil Zack Sabre Jr., Juice Robinson, and Kenta uh, are our participants there. So, Scott, if you understood anything I said, who who are you looking at in that tournament? Who do you think is going to be the most exciting uh, participant in there in the, those two blocks? David, see, just before we got into that, there, I'm I'm really mm-hmm. disappointed. Sorry to jump in there, Scott. I thought that said Santana. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's like crossover. I'm like brilliant. Where's Ortiz? I wonder if he's no, not even that. I'm just wondering if he's get a uh, Rob for Matchbox Twenty singing him, but whatever. <laughs> so no, no, the wrestler Santana, the the artist Santana, Aye, the guitarist, the, the guitarist Santana. I thought he was in the in the old wrestling there, but unfortunately, there's a, a severe lack of Tajiri as well in this. Um, I don't know why he's not made the the cut for that, but. Isn't there always, you know, isn't there, there's never enough Tajiri anywhere. But Scott, uh, Carlos Santana and Tajiri aside, uh, who, who are you most excited about in this tournament? I want to say first, I think my co-host Grammit Robbie has just raged, turned off this podcast right now, hearing the way you pronounce some of those names. He's, he's gone on a rage all week, spitting some angry DMs on my co-host any day now. What excites me about this is some of the names like a Jay White or a Jeff Cobb and Kenta in all caps. Uh, we've seen more uh, on the show they produced in the US, New Japan Strong, because before this they couldn't get back into the country. And mm-hmm. we were unsure about how the just tournament was going to look, me and Graham, because it would depend on who they could get back in or who they could have available to them. Because when they mm-hmm. did the New Japan Cup, they kind of opened it and included juniors in it. They put young lions in it. So, and now I think they've found a way to get some of their bigger stars back. Uh, there's so many different matchups here that excite me. I mean, Will Ospreay is not everybody's favourite at the moment, mm. but you know, hopefully he'll go up against mm. another quite frankly, the most terrifying man in all of wrestling. And so that should take care of the problem right there. And as I said to you guys in our group chat, the battle of the all caps as Bullet Club members Kenta and Evil should uh, face off. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Yes, yes, I, I'm a big fan of the old caps. If I could just go around uh, typing everything in all caps, only working style, uh, I definitely would. Uh, Sarah, um, out of the only other person on this panel familiar with Japanese wrestling, uh, do you count on anything Scott said or anything to add to that? Well, I think like the fact that you have actually got the current champion, Naito, competing mm-hmm. in the blocks as well. So like that's always a really, really fun time because then if anyone does manage to beat him, 
they automatically do just get a match for the title as well. Doesn't like further down the line before Wrestle Kingdom. Mm. Um, but the thing that really sticks out for me is the fact that you've got Sonata and Evil in the same uh, block because mm-hmm. it was just at the at the New Japan Cup where we we did see uh, Sonata versus Evil um, right before Evil went to the final and mm-hmm. left Lij to move to Bullet Club. So um, the fact that you know Evil and Sonata were tag team partners as well um, yeah. as it, it's going to be quite exciting to see that match finally culminate since Evil turning and leaving LIJ behind. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that disappoints me is the fact that I was convinced that um, Hiromo was going to be in the G1 this year. I just, because right. in my opinion, one of the best juniors, uh, if not the best junior that's kicking around in New Japan right now. So I was very, very upset. That he was not part of it. Fair enough, man. Fair enough. I, I'm I'm smiling and nodding. I'm, I'm like the penguins from Madagascar, just smiling away, boys. I'm gonna pretend I know. You're, <laughs> you're like the little TikTok. You're like that yeah. TikTok that says it's a baby penguin caught on an iceberg. Sarah, just now you were saying there about um, somebody called Evil turning on on a team and leaving and joining the yeah. club. Is it not a wee bit like <laughs> obviously he was going to turn? His name's Evil. But the guy, the, the guy is meant to be doing turns. Like, is it just right, me so, shocked by that turn? Shocking! Evil is evil. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everything is evil. Um, but it was more the fact that CLIJ, you wouldn't really call them like they're sort of like the tweener faction, or like they're sort of like there is an actual translation which I'm not even going to try and butcher because I know Daniel will be listening in the other room and he'll be like, "That's not how you say it." <laughs> um, which means that like um, they're, it's not really uncontrollable but that's the mm. sort of thing and they just sort of do their own thing um, so Evil was always kind of like a bad guy, he was never like an obvious good guy or an obvious bad guy um, but when it came to him and Naito in the final you saw throughout and Scott will agree that throughout the New Japan Cup he started acting a little bit more heelish and doing more evil things uh, mm. to get through to the final so when they went to go and do the LIJ fist bump at the end and then Evil turned and did the Bullet Club sign and then knocked him out. It was still a shock because you're like, did that actually just happen? So, because let's just face it, Knight was the leader of LIJ, he created it. And mm. so, but it all, I think that all came down to jealousy and the fact that Evil never really got the top tier prizes that he can maybe possibly want. Well, um, yeah, and I'll throw that's a I'll throw that over to Scott because I know enough to say that Evil's recent run hasn't necessarily been the the best received by some fans. Scott, like, where do you stand on what Sarah's saying there? Yeah, me and, and Grant went into some detail about the, the decision to put the belts on Evil for a while uh, when we covered the show where Nigel won them back, and I think it was kind of a shock value thing. Like, I think there were always plans for him to leave the group. They've been teasing it for quite a while. And they thought, let's pull the trigger now on our big return doing shows mm. again. And now he and Naito are in the same block, so that should continue that little rivalry. Like, to clear up some confusion, like the shock of evil being evil. Before, he was just everyday evil, and now when he turned on Naito, he, turned, he switched over to cartoonish super villainy. So that's the shades of evil. So he's mm-hmm. Rangers evil then? He really, he really upset he is, Milano as well. He's, so. 
he's went from Rita Repulsa to Lord Zed. I hear what you're saying there, Ryan. I, I get, I get what's going on here. Um, you did bring up a name. I don't want to uh, keep on this for too long, but obviously, I think it'd be wrong to ignore it. Should just a question: Should Will Osprey even be in this tournament? No, no, no. Yeah, no. I, I, I don't think he deserves it. Like, mm-hmm. but then again, I had, I had this conversation with Daniel, and he went, "How much do you think New Japan are like savvy to what's been going on over here, mm. um, and also the fact that." At the end of the day, he is one of New Japan's biggest stars, especially in the junior division. So it's. Do you think it gets a certain point though? Where I know you're saying about New Japan maybe being familiar with what's happening across here. I think they will be familiar. I, you know, it's mm. it's been far too big on on wrestling mm. Twitter to completely miss it. So they they'll know. I think what this tells you with him being in it is that they don't actually care. Yeah. If, that, if that's a, a good way to put it, I don't think it really affects them too much. I think that it's a case of I we know what's happening, but just leave that be. And mm. cor- correct me if I'm wrong, Will Osprey was his he never done anything, did he? He just aided somebody else in all this this stuff. No, just very, uh, very loosely tell me. He was involved in some blacklisting um of right, like okay. Pollyanna, etc. And is basically his best pal raped her um and he blacklisted her from wrestling. Right, okay, mm. so fuck him, get him out then. Aye, it's one of those. It's, it's one of those. It's, it's, it's unfortunate to talk about, um, but obviously I didn't want to to not address it head on because my opinion is he shouldn't be anywhere near the tournament. But to end it on a more positive note, I'll come to both uh, Scott and Sarah here. Simple question, Scott: Who wins the entire tournament? Are you just asking me? Uh, <laughs> I mean, uh, a more optimistic pick for me is Tomohiro Ishii because he's very much that case of a. The guy mm-hmm. who's had opportunities but never has actually won the title and he's kind of early 40s now so it's kind of his time feels like it's right. up to the point where he needs a, a, a run now or he won't get it but a more realistic okay. one is either Jay White or Kota Ibushi I think Jay White or Kota Ibushi for Mr Scott McLeod Sarah who is your pick to win uh, the G1 Climax 2020? See I'm only saying this person because I I keep saying that if they had been around for the New Japan Cup, they would have won it, uh, and that's Jay White. I can see him. He's mm. he's gonna he's he's already main event worthy, and he, he got so close to being like part of that double gold dash last year that I could see him taking on possibly, hopefully, Naito if he's still champion. Nice, nice. So Jay White from Seda, guys. Uh, Daniel, Ryan, you might be able to, to speak now. We're coming back over to, to American shores. I just uh, want to say I just want to say, Dave, on the last one, I think uh, I think Santana's gonna win the whole thing. I think Santana is going to win the whole thing. It's because yeah, he's so be smooth. Mate, it's because so he's, he's, he's so smooth. As well. Give me your heart, make it real. Let's forget about it. Here we go. Uh, but went from <laughs> New Japan to All Elite Wrestling, who recently had their their pay per view all out. To get this out of the way, it's been a mixed response at best to All Out as a show. Uh, we put the question out on Twitter, um, saying that was it AEW's worst pay per view so far? A resounding eighty five percent voted yes to that poll and only 15 uh, commented that it wasn't um so just to take this the show as a whole at first uh, daniel i'll come to you for this one where do you stand on the overall quality 
um, of All Out as a pay-per-view and where do you think it went wrong? Well, this is coming as a guy who didn't get to watch pretty much all of the show because I was working at 6am the next morning. So, Wonderful. in terms of the quality of the show, like from what I had seen, like I'd only call it a tale like last few matches of it, so I can really sp- I can m- mostly speak for them. So, uh, most of him was unique, but it was a it was actually a concept that you wouldn't think would work in this day and age. Like it sounds mm-hmm. more like a concept you would see maybe in you know kind of like the latter years of the new generation, maybe attitude era sort of thing. But to see it happen now. It's just, it worked so well just for the way they did it because it wasn't just that one big tank that was just awkwardly sat mm. waiting at the stage. It was two either side, mm. which I, I enjoyed that more. Moxley and MJF, it told the story it needed to. And I've, I will admit the the whole, um, you're banned from using this move, ref doesn't see it, uses the move anyway thing. It's been done to death now. Like, I would have much rather seen Moxley use something new to like score the W there because mm. I've seen it with Triple H I've seen it with Edge good god I'm, I'm bored to death of it like I would much rather there would have been a different ending to the match but mm. I'm still happy with the decision awesome awesome so we're going to we're going to dive into this pay-per-view uh, quite quite much quite quite muchly <laughs> I teach good English um, but obviously Spoke, <laughs> spoken proper English damn it well I, I know how to English I'm not going to lie to anyone, I think I've broke my toe at football training, so it has thrown me for a loop tonight, man. Sitting here with a throbbing foot. Like it's I, don't know what you're going to I don't know what you're going to do next, David, because I should now butcher Japanese and English at the same time. <laughs> in the same show, what are you going to do next? Parlez-vous français. But anyway, the buy-in we had, we're going to skip over this, we had Joey Janela uh, defeating uh, so, 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 Pentacle, <laughs> and then we had Private Party <laughs> defeating John Silver and Alex Reynolds of the Dark Order. Uh, but then we get into the, the start of our main show, uh, and Ryan, I'll come to you in this one. It was the tooth and nail match uh, with Big Swole uh, defeating Britt Baker in that match. What were your thoughts on that? Do you think it was the right decision to open the show? Uh, obviously, this was meant to be in the buy-in and got moved up. What were your thoughts on that decision as well? I think the the rivalry itself deserved to be on on the main show. You know, the build to it. It's been going on for for weeks and weeks and weeks. Obviously, with Britt being out injured, um, they've kind of milked it. A good bit, and it's been it's kind of been leading to this. Um, that being said, I don't think that the match itself was was that good. You know, I, I think mm-hmm. it lacked a lot of stuff. I think it was it was very um, it was very twentieth minute of of Orton and Edge at WrestleMania. It was just walking between places, the odd punch here and there. You know, a, a kind of random spot that doesn't really do much. Um, mm. I, I kind of feel like that's what the whole match was. You know, it was the, the beginning was decent, the end was decent, in between was just complete rubbish for me. Um, I think it could have been a lot better. I'm, I'm guessing the the fact that it was a, a pre-recorded type match is because mm. you know Britt Baker is probably still carrying a bit of an injury and they were they were kind of safe with it, um, which is why that's happened. But I, I feel like if she wasn't fit to go, probably should have just left this one out until she was ready to put on a decent match. Mm. Yeah, I, I would probably agree with that. Um, Sarah, obviously, you were, you were part of the, the panel that looked into the AEW women's division. 
time and its progress uh, this past week on the feature show. What were your thoughts on the sort of move from the buy-in to the main show and even the the point that it was on the buy-in in the first place, despite being one of the most prominent feuds in the women's division? Well, see, I think this is where the difference between AEW and WWE happen because they don't actually seem to downplay buy-in at all. Like they, they want to try and make it as exciting as they possibly can. They don't drown everything out. I mean, it's always nice to see Tony Schiavone and Dasha like taking the lead on everything. Mm. Um, so I probably actually wouldn't have minded if it was on the buy-in, um, considering that they really wanted to push uh, the Women's World Championship match um, mm. with Hikaru Shida and Thunder Rosa. Um, like Ryan said, the rivalry really did deserve to be like on the main show because they had been working towards it. Um, it's still like, just having like a random tag team match or you know Joy Janela's Serpentacle, um, which hadn't had any lead up to it. So that that did make more sense just to sort of open the show up a little bit. Um, but the actual match itself, like like Ryan said, it, it just feel it felt a little bit too rushed. Mm. Um, so I, I don't know what else they could have done, especially because Brick Baker did actually come out and say, I will be ready for All Out. Yeah. Um, that put a lot heavier expectations. It's like, well, if we don't get a match at All Out, then what's mm-hmm. the point? Like, that rivalry is just going to fizzle. Yeah, and I want to move on from it because I've got other matches to talk about and I don't want to cover ground that you guys already covered on Tuesday too much. But just in my opinion, you have 11 matches in this pay-per-view only two are women's matches um, I think that's a disgrace and the fact that there's nine on the main show and you were going to have one of those women's matches go on the buy-in and I know that they say they're trying to present the buy-in as something that's exciting and get people in the door but at the end of the day it's free as opposed to the pay-per-view you know what I mean? There is there is a difference in perception there. So I do think there's work to be done by AEW. Having said that, I agree with what uh, you and Ryan were saying. The quality of the match could have been better and they probably should have waited till Baker was, was fitter um, to compete in that one. But we move on uh, to the Young Bucks defeating Jurassic Express. Um, Scott, just to ask your overall opinions on this tag match. Um, obviously the first in-ring action of the main show, uh, not a cinematic match, but also the, the Young Bucks changing attitude, a slow sort of heel turn appears to be happening with these guys. Yeah, I really enjoyed this match. I did have some issues with the, my connection when I was watching the movie, so I only saw bits and pieces, but what I did see of it, I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And when you actually watch it, you think this probably would have been a better opener because they then put, it was weird to like open the show, big pyro, welcome, being welcome to the show, and cut to a pre-recorded thing, that kind of yeah. the show off on a rocky foot and then plus the fact now you've got more matches on the main show than you were meant to then it made it more difficult for people watching in the UK especially because like the last three matches are three of the best ones and they were the hardest ones to stay awake for when you're yeah. trying to watch them but this match I enjoyed it for what it was because I think it was more a case of it was meant to help further the story for the Bucks and their slow change in attitude I think the result was probably never in doubt I think it is for the best because be honest with you, the Bucks aren't the best at being faces. They're just yeah. natural. Like, although they get the comparisons to the Hardys, but the difference between them is the Hardys were more were better off as faces, whereas the Bucks they're better off as heels. They have an inherent arrogance about them. I think that's the problem. There's something that's really, really cocky um, 
without the Bucks, they'd have made me like a pair of 90s Shawn Michaels almost. You know what I mean? And it's hard to sort of to get behind them because you're just like, you look like a smug bastard. But uh, obviously, Daniel, um, Jurassic Express, eating the, the loss here. Are they the type of tag team that they don't necessarily need to be getting these big wins? Or do you disagree? Do you think Jurassic Express need to be coming out on the winning end of some rivalry sooner rather than later? I would say, unless you want them to go down the route like the oddities, they need the wins. Because, mm. like, I mean, like, to get to get that comparison to more legs, like, the, the oddities was just basically, uh, they came out, they danced, and that was it. Jurassic mm. Express, you have a variety of talent there. You have Luchasaurus, who is, is Bay. You have... He's Jungle a great Boy. big guy, isn't he? Oh, he Such is. a good big man. He is. He, you get jungle boy who is deceptively brilliant mm-hmm. like just when i believe what was it the, the match you had with jericho a while ago like mm-hmm. his performance in that match was astonishing yeah then you have, then you have marco stunt who will just do anything uh like if you have that variety of talent use them in the right way don't let them just yeah. be they come out they do like the you know on the shoulders entrance and that's all you care for give yeah. them the actual time give them the screen time because I genuinely think they could be within the next year AEW Tag Team Champions mm. and I have to agree with you on Jungle Boy obviously the son of uh, Luke Perry who rest in peace Luke Perry uh, great actor I recently you've probably seen him once upon a time in Hollywood had a small role in that in Riverdale um, but his son you know he has he shares his dashing good looks shall we say uh, not to stand Jungle Boy but we stand Jungle Boy here on this podcast uh, moving on from the Young Bucks uh, versus Jurassic Express we have the Casino Battle Royal and Ryan I'll come to you just to, the concept of the Casino Battle Royal are you for it or, or is it something that you just think is a bit I, t- I hate to say TNA like, but is it TNA like? You know, mate, that's actually a perfect example of of this. I, I couldn't think of a better way to to put that. It is very TNA, but like when TNA was shite, you know, when, when <laughs> TNA went through that period of just being absolutely immense and chucking random ideas. I, th- I, I like the idea. I like what they're trying to go for. I just don't think they succeed in it very well. Um, mm. I find it hard to believe that two two tag team partners somehow get put into the same group together when you've got a completely random grouping you know that the way that it works doesn't go very well it's like when you compare it to a to a royal rumble for example i'm just thinking of the, the first one top of my head this year's royal rumble you had gallows anderson and aj styles all coming out at separate times and yeah. kind of getting involved whereas i think it's just dead weird when you get two tag team partners running at the same time in this one when you're trying to split up groups so mm-hmm. i don't i would much rather they just had everybody in the ring and had a battle royal and tell a story that way because i i, I don't for me it's, it's not it's not something i enjoy it's not something i actually enjoyed anyway then there's a certain point in the match i did really enjoy which was absolutely outstanding a certain um evan born <laughs> <Side down. laughs> that was. Uh, I shouldn't laugh, but it was only, I described it in the group chat as the shock master of AEW. Like, if there's see, a way not to make a debut, man. See if you're ever trying to get further away from a gimmick that is airborne. Hit the fucking deck 
and don't fly, right? That's one way to get rid of your gimmick that you had before <laughs> in a previous company, you know? But I try to go for the shooting star press. It, do you know, <laughs> I, I seen it at a time, right? And I was in stitches and then I seen it on Twitter again and I must have, I actually think I paused the show the next morning when I was watching it back just to watch this clip about 50 times in a row because it's it looks like some, mate, it looks like Sunday snipers him in the heat before he jumps. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> stop myself laughing with that. We'll it's move like, on. Yeah, so Scott. Was somebody I think captioned the clip of him falling? It said, "Have you ever seen somebody get choke slammed by a ghost?" <laughs> <laughs> it's the ghost of fake Kane in AEW. <laughs> the ghost of fake Kane is all in. Uh, Sarah, so Matt, Matt's idea was epic fail aside. Uh, what were some of your favourite spots uh, from the Battle Royal? I mean. Probably some of my favourite spots. I wouldn't even call it my favourite, but you've got to give props to how crazy Darby Allen is. Ooh. I mean, getting put inside a body Ooh. bag with thumbtacks and then being thrown around by a Mr. Brian Cage. Yeah. yeah. I love it. I was a bit like, is that a step too far? And then I was like... He's crazy, he'll do anything though. That's I love him. Do you but, know, we're, we're going to talk about the the Matt Hardy situation later on and I don't think that this one is actually getting enough press or enough kind of notice because of what happened in the in the Matt Hardy mm. match later mm. on but this was extremely dangerous you know like we all, we all watch wrestling yeah. we know we know when you when you get like a buckle bomb or something you're supposed to be able to kind of defend yourself and you use your hands and you can protect your head there's no way he could do any of that inside a body bag he doesn't know when he's going to hit the ground you know that could have went really bad for him in yeah. terms of head injuries yeah I, th- I think see just quickly the storytelling as well like see when how he's got a rivalry going with Ricky Starks right now is yeah. that they continue to tell that because the first thing that Darby did straight to Ricky Starks like nobody else is just like no this is the rivalry I'm doing mm-hmm. and that's what I really liked it's like it does actually play a part in the storytelling I mean plus you've got to love the fact that Frankie Kazarian and Christopher Daniels were in it as well. I love I used to love Kazarian, man. Absolutely. It was a he's childhood. He's a handsome man now, by the way. He's gotten Aye. so much more handsome. But <laughs> see when he old school TNA man, I remember it was it was it Raven's Flock or whatever his TNA stable was called. And I just I, I still used to watch think old school TNA, all right? Oh man, I used to think Kazarian was the best thing since sliced bread, man. But I'm glad to see him back on my, my screens again. But Scott, obviously you were running the sweeps this week and how many people called Lance Archer as the winner and just your personal opinion do you think Lance Archer was the right choice uh, to win the Casino Battle Royal? Yes and no because not as many people more people selected him to be number 21 than mm. he won it and he was, the fact that he came in number 20 I think must be very annoying for people <laughs> And but I think Ross and one or two other people got him as uh, the winner but I think that kind of gave away that maybe Unless they were going to put him as like a tweener kind of character, MGF probably wasn't going to win later on. Mm. And the thing with AEW is a big bit of contention is the rankings. And he's mm. been like second or third in the rankings for weeks now because his only real loss was against Cody. And yet he's not been featuring a title match since Cody. So he had to get a title opportunity at some point. Uh, otherwise, the rankings once again look like they don't really matter as much as AEW likes to claim that they mm. do. Um, yeah, I, I have to agree with that. 
I, I have a major problem with the rankings. I just think it doesn't lend itself to storytelling or any real sort of surprises with anything, if that makes sense. Only because they ignore it. Like they don't even yeah. they don't even acknowledge it half the time. You, they flash it up on the screen, and then that's all you see from it. I think that's the problem with it. It's one of those things that's it's a better idea than it is in practice. You know what I mean? They've probably been behind the scenes before AEW's launched and they're like, oh, this is a great thing. You know, the rankings will really help us to sort of legitimise it, but then in practice it sort of limits you, you know, in a story point of view. But moving on from the Battle Royal quickly, just to the sort of implied future of this, Daniel, uh, obviously Lance Archer has a shot at the World Championship. Are you worried? Because do you think he'll be another placeholder feud for Mr. John Moxley? Uh, spoiler alert, by the way. Um, and how does Lance Archer recover from another big loss if that is indeed his fate? I'll be honest, I'd much rather and this is and I'll just get put this in context. This is coming from a guy who has John Moxley as his team captain in Saturday Draft Live. <laughs> I actually would much rather that Archer takes the title off Moxley. Mm. Purely because like as much as as much as the Elick experience would like to have any chance of victory this season, uh, <laughs> again, this is not Saturday Draft Live, but still, as much as I would like to see Moxley still be champion, he needs to give way to someone. And mm. I think the best thing he can do, if they're not going to give it to MJF, give it to the next big heel they can have in the main event scene, mm. and that's Archer. Does he, though? Does, does Moxley need to, to lose this? Because... He's arguably, I know we're, we're getting way ahead of ourselves just now, but mm-hmm. just when you when you mentioned it there about Lance Archer taking it, I, I can't see Archer taking it. I don't think that would be a good move. I think Moxley is your top guy in, in that company. Um, he's the only guy that I really get properly hyped for every match that he's got. I don't know if it's his entrance, the, his music, the way that he wrestles, you know, everything that we've seen him before, knowing that he can be a, a, a mad bastard mm-hmm. at times as well. I I love him as as champ, and I hope he stays champ for a, a long time. I, I kind of get your point, what you're saying about you know if somebody is going to take it from him, it has to be a kind of top heel um, in that sense. But I don't think that his time, and we'll touch on it later on when we get on the match as well. I don't think his time is is up. I think he can hold that title for a, a very long time. I think that's the inherent problem, though, isn't it? Um, Seda is that. You want John Moxley. John Moxley is the face of this brand. That's very clear. But where does that leave Lance Archer? And why would they set him up for another loss this quickly? Well, see, this is what I'm thinking. I was discussing this with Daniel as well when we were watching the Moxley and GF match because they were so not me. Both undefeated. <laughs> not not this. Not that I'm mad, Daniel. Um, and he made the point of somebody's got to lose at some point. So, like, that's also, like, the fact that you've got Moxley, who is undefeated. Mm. So, I think the idea of getting somehow someone taking the title, it's no one's going to be that believable than big monster like Lance Archer when he's got Jake the Snake with them. Yeah. Um, Because then that just sets up for the idea of a babyface chasing the heel champion because you can set up a long-term storyline with those two because mm. Lance Archer's got Jake the Snake to do his talking and so far it's been really really good even just taking snipes at him and so now in Moxley we all know Moxley's a great talker so it just sets up a natural storyline that could easily last going into 2021 
Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. But um, getting past this Lance Archer incident, obviously, we have we have Matt Hardy versus Sammy Guevara in a broken rules match. The stipulation being, if Matt Hardy lost, he would have to leave AEW. Um, I don't want to beat around the bush with this one. There's one major talking point from this um, during a spot involving a, a, a sort of lift. Um, Matt Hardy took a bump onto a concrete floor from a great height and banged his head essentially and the match continued after it is the big controversy Scott where do you stand on this incident um, do you believe that AEW should have stopped this match in its tracks as soon as this happened um, and also with regards to sort of a storytelling like there's probably and they're using that as a justification I've seen some people use it as a justification for it continuing where do you stand on that argument as well like, see, this is the big issue. This is when people look back on uh, this show. They might fight the, some of the great matches, some that we've talked about, and some that we're going to talk about in a bit. This is going to be the black market because I don't think it was either guy, either wrestler's fault. It was mm. just a case of the wrong positioning. They they were too far out on the table. And I've heard some people say you can kind of see in midair if you slow it down. Sammy notices midair that you're like, oh crap, we're not going to make it properly. And the big issue is, yeah. Yeah, they say Matt told the doctor I'm good to continue, but I don't think you should really just judge it based on what the wrestler says because all most wrestlers will probably say think they're better off than they actually are. Mm. So I think that's a case of the doctor and the referee stepping in, basically saying like, no, because like Matt's got so many characters they could have worked around the fact that obviously they put in this like retirement stipulation. They can say, well, we said Matt Hardy was going away, but then he comes back to this new thing because what's the priority here is. Matt's long-term health and then the fact that they did that bit with the claim to kind of bit the staging air area where the issue with that is Matt could have easily fallen off of that because Matt mm-hmm. said he barely did anything in the match but the ropes were already sweaty so he then like fell back yeah. is already sweaty and probably did no idea where he was because he was so concussed one one misstep and he was falling off of that staging air and causing himself even more damage uh, so he should not, not only should the match not have continued, he should not have been allowed to climb up that, that structure. Yeah, and uh, just carrying on from that, Ryan, AEW facing a lot of criticism and backlash, as Scott's brought up there. Tony Khan's been on Twitter, sort of try to defend the situation, try to give positive updates, but not necessarily taking sort of full ownership of it. Uh, where do you stand in AEW's reaction to this situation? I think it's an absolute disgrace that this match was allowed to continue. Um, mm-hmm. I, I fell asleep watching this. I had to catch up on it the next day, um, and I kind of heard what was happening. And I thought I need, to, I need to watch this match and see see mm-hmm. what happened. The second Matt Hardy is lying on the floor, totally gone. You know mm-hmm. he is he's practically out of it. You know there's nothing there. His his hands are by his side. You can tell that is a man who's completely knocked out. Right? The match should be stopped at that point. Who listens to a professional wrestler that stands back up and goes, "Oh, I'm fine" after he's been knocked out mm. ten seconds previously? Like mm. what? What doctor looks at that situation and lets that go? Like it's, yeah. a, it's a disgrace. And the fact that the match was allowed to go on, and I know people are talking about all oh, the stipulation is that he would have lost his job. And I seen his buddy, his wife, will go on to her in a minute um, on on Twitter. <laughs> people talking. You can get on to her now. You can get on to her now. What you want? I know. I'm, I'm going to make this point. And then I got on there. But people, <laughs> are making, people were making the point on on social media when she was having a having a go. 
um, and they were saying, oh, do you want your husband to be out of a job? No. You call the match off. Like, no winners, no losers. You can't lose your job if you don't lose the match, right? Yeah. The guy's lying concussed on the floor. You call it a no contest and you go, ah, oh, by the way, see that stipulation? Look at him. He almost yeah. died, right? The stipulation's out the window. So mm-hmm. people are on, on Twitter giving her a hard time. What I will say, though, on, on Rebby Hardy is she... I have sympathy with her to a certain point, right? But she turns into this kind of snivelling, greeting face wee bastard every now and then. And it's happened before, it's happened plenty of times over the years where you're, you're with her for a while and then she kind of goes in that Gordon Strachan era of calling people Neds. It's along that same kind of idea, right? She just basically then goes for people and you're going, right, okay, you hurt me until here. And now you've lost me. Now you're just snivelling. You know, when she was having a go at that journalist who was saying, you know, I've got I've got good authority that, that Matt Hardy's doing doing better today or whatever it was he said. And she replied, going, Oh, that's funny because I've not spoke to you and neither has Matt. Well, maybe he spoke to a fucking doctor. You know, maybe he's got somebody <laughs> else. He's a journalist, right? He's a journalist. Maybe he's got contacts in somewhere else, but instead you try and come out and have a go at somebody as if you're like this kind of all singing, all dancing, super being on, on Twitter, right? Beat it, Rebby, right? We'll deal with it. And that's the end of it. <laughs> so moving on from the all singing, all dancing, Rebby Hardy to... Fucking, um, I love it! I love it! My blood's up! <laughs> so it's Hikaru Shida versus Sing It With Me, Scott. It's Thunder. Rosa, Rosa, Rosa. <laughs> For the AEW Women's Championship. Um, Daniel oh, just. I talk about Rebbe Hardy again. Jesus Christ, what was that? So, Daniel, just heading into this match, uh, what did you think of Thunder Rosa's chances, chances of walking out of this with the AEW Women's title, considering she is the champion of another rival promotion in the NWA? Given the. Well, to, to compare the companies, given the fact that AEW is still putting out more content than the NWA is right now, they're still obviously. NWA, I think, are at the moment still trying to restart everything that's going on right now, unless I'm mistaken. Mm. Like, I, I feel that it would have been the wrong call to just have Thunder Rosa come in and take the title right away without any chance of like building it on the other side. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like I would much rather see, you know, like Thunder Rosa appears on Dynamite. Shida appears on Power. Like mm-hmm. the two bouncing back and forth and then have the title match where it's like, Oh look, look what I've got. Both the belts. Screw you. <laughs> I get you, I get you and Sarah, uh, talk about the overall quality of the match what did you think of uh, Shida versus Rosa in the end and do you agree with Daniel, right decision for Shida uh, to retain the title here um, Well I actually said on the feature show uh, earlier in the week that I actually thought it was one of the best women's matches that they've had since mm-hmm. uh, A&W's inception mm-hmm. um, so like, I, was a big, I was a big fan of the match it was it was perfectly balanced in my opinion um because you had two legitimate champions um i would say like just the fact that because shida needed a challenger and they couldn't just stick somebody on like i do i do like the fact it was like a legitimate champion like yeah. no one knows who thunder rosa is um and obviously she took the belt off of sienna so or alice and k depending on what alias she's going under nowadays 
Um, so having a champion versus champion, but just for the title, you know, at the end of the day, that Sheeta was going to be walking out, but it was also a way to legitimize the actual title scene because it wasn't a squash match. It wasn't like this, that, and the next thing. It was equal. And it's like two people properly fighting, having a wrestling match. Like, that's what you like to see. Like, take yeah. away the titles, and it wouldn't have made any difference. Like, if you yeah. taken away the title, there was just a title involved. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with you. It was actually it was a really entertaining match. The only problem I have with it is that you're bringing in Thunder Rosa from another promotion. And Thunder Rosa is great, but you've got a wealth of talent that I feel has been squandered within AEW's own women's division who could have done with this spotlight on this show. And if you don't plan on signing Thunder Rosa going forward, to me, it seems like an opportunity missed, despite the fact that it was a really good match. And I'm not saying that Thunder Rosa isn't a talented performer. I'm not having a go at her there. I'm just having a go at the way AW has sort of booked the women's division. You know, that's that's basically my, my deal yeah, with that. That was how we felt when we were discussing the women's uh, division. It was also the fact that in the lead up to All Out, they faced a, like they put a lot of highlights on the uh, women's tag tournament, mm-hmm. um, and that sort of put the singles division on a back burner. And then they probably they went and realised, oh wait, we need a match for Sheeta. Yeah, but you can tell the story in that tournament. You know what I mean? A team falls out, and then they end up in a triple threat with Sheeta or something. You know, so the storytelling's there I just think that sometimes they they just drop the ball but for more on that go and check out this week's feature show these guys had a big dive in more than I can moving on we had Dustin Rose Mark Cardona versus QT Marshall and Scorpio Sky versus the Dark Order that was a match that happened then we had FTR versus Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page with FTR walking out with the AEW Tag Team Championships. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I was all here ready to get my QT Marshall love on. And, <laughs> and you've totally, you've totally right past it. Let's talk about, let's talk briefly One about sec. that match. Let's talk briefly. Ryan. Say that again, Scott? You, you want to talk about QT because you've got the same haircut as him at the moment. Well, I mean, technically, I have no hair, so yes, spot on. Well, neither is he at the minute. Ryan, summarise what you liked about that match for us briefly. I think there's a big talking point towards the end that we need to, we need to touch on as well with, uh, you know, Sarah sitting here doing the Joint Dark Order hand sign. I'm terrified because she's got the, the, <laughs> the cat ears on at the same time. Um, but there was a, a point at the very end um, where the Natural Nightmares, Matt Cardona and Scorpio Sky, pick up the, the win um, Colt Cabana is the one that kind of ruins it for them um, mm. Brody Lee has been a big fan of of him he's been kind of keeping him he, he's the one person he's not been giving stick to for a few weeks he's been, he mm. tends to give stick to a lot of folk a bit like Jeff at a quarry um, <laughs> kind of pu- pushing folk about that um, bastard Jeff bastard Jeff but uh, you kind of seen the the start of a, a kind of feud here at the end of this one where he eventually did turn on Colt Cabana like he's going to blame that I think this is going to be Colt Cabana now mm. leaving Dark Order and starting that kind of feud um, might see him getting a you know a title shot in a, in a few weeks as well yeah so it seems like we're not saving time by talking briefly about this match Sarah so just come to you uh, Dark Order <laughs> one of the one of the most entertaining aspects of AEW right now aren't they absolutely I mean April Luno is my favourite 
like going around in AEW right now. I, I just love them, and it's like I am part of the Dark Order, and that's why I'm mm. doing the Dark Order sign. So, join Dark Order. Join Dark Order to sum up. Uh, but getting back to FTR, they are the new AEW World Tag Team Champions. Uh, well done to them, Scott. This sums up a beautiful journey. Uh, with the FTR leaving WWE to to seek greener pastures in AEW and despite the fact they're playing the heels here, the dastardly heels responsible for Hangman Page losing his self-esteem, um, it was actually, out of kayfabe, a really, really feel-good moment to see these two with the belts. Yeah, 100%. It was a great match, if not a bit too long. It went 29 minutes, the longest mm. match on the card, and given that the, the show was already going long at this point, and plus time difference for us here in the UK, this is when it, you start lagging, especially if you need to stay up to the end to mark a bloody sweepstake and do maths at five in the morning. <laughs> I, I love the Just stay with rosters, just make it up. That's <laughs> why I never win. Because right. see, if, it, if I was making up, Sarah probably wouldn't be the champion right now, but that's not. <laughs> It was but, one time I screwed you out of the title. One time. <laughs> and I'll never forget it. Moving it's on. either that or he just really hates Alba Good Graps. <laughs> we've, all, we've all done it. You know what I mean? We've all done it. Uh, Screws got out the title as a podcast uh, group activity. You didn't do it on but, his birthday, though. You, you didn't do it on his birthday. I, I did it first. I've screwed plenty <laughs> in my house in my life. <laughs> Lovely stuff, right? Funny, I've, I've, I've been in the room where I definitely recall it was the other way around and Scott screwed you, David. <laughs> We talk about that. But anyway, uh, Daniel, we welcome to you right now. Um, obviously, a really, really good wrestling match here, like Scott touched on. Perhaps a bit too long in the tooth, but it's uh, really good to see tag team wrestling uh, getting this length of time and this spotlight that AEW gives it in contrast to other promotions like WWE. Um, what were your thoughts on the match as a whole? Were there any spots that really stuck out to you in this tag team match? I'm trying to remember just now. I only was able to what catch highlights of it from that night, but... I would agree with the statement that it went a bit too long, but at the same time, you know, I'm glad it went to such a length because I think the last time I saw a match go, well, a tag match go to a similar length was probably the Iron Man tag match they did a few years ago in WWE. Mm. Uh, it was the Hardys and the Usos, was it? Or no, it was Cesaro and Sheamus, was it? It was the bar, yeah, it was the bar. Right. So the fact that it was a match that long outside of a, a stipulation like that, it was just a regular, straightforward one on one, like two on two tag match. That is what we are needing because tag team wrestling is something that's been. I, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll put this out there. Tag team wrestling suffered the worst in terms of any kind of wrestling company, like in match style, during this whole pandemic situation. Because mm. obviously they've been trying to push the one on one matches, push the big stars to try and get people's attention back in there. But at the same time, the tag division has not had the same treatment in my mind. So mm. I was really happy to see this happen and get a, a long match. It may have been too long, but it was a long match nonetheless. And we got, rightfully so, uh, FTR with those belts. Oh, good. Oh, God damn, they look fantastic with them. They do indeed. But uh, let's talk about the former champions. Uh, briefly here, Sarah. Kenny Omega and Hangman Page appear to be no more. It appears that Kenny Omega is also going to leave the elite. Uh, the cleaner uh, persona is rumoured to be coming back. I totally know what that is. But, Sarah, what do you think about the, the breakup of the former AEW Tag Team Champions? I've been waiting for it for months. Like, I've, I've been, like, I'm not going to lie. 
I want Hangman Adam Page to get back into the main title picture where he was originally meant to be mm. uh, when the company first started up. Um, and I've been dying to have Kenny Omega become the cleaner again because I think that was some of his best times um, when he was in New Japan and Bullet Club. Like That is like the best thing that I've seen mm. Kenny Omega do and Kenny Omega is one of the best in the world. So again it's like the bucks he's a natural heel but he has a good face but he's just a natural heel like he mm. just you could see it as soon as that black and gray hair comes back that's it games of bogey games of bogey and the rest of aw better watch themselves um but in this case the game was a mimosa uh, more specifically, a Mimosa Mayhem match. Um, Ryan, this pitted Orange Cassidy um, against Chris Jericho. Um, what are your thoughts? Obviously, Chris Jericho said that he wants to help build new talent. Do you think that this feud with Jericho and by extension this finale of the feud with the Mimosa Mayhem match has made a star out of Orange Cassidy? 100%. You know, I've been uh, I come on these shows before talking about AEW. Um, talking about Jericho since he's been there, talking about Jericho over the years of just mm. how he can always adapt to to different things. You know, he can take on different characters, he can succeed, he can get certain things over that other guys would completely fail at. Now, yeah. what he's done with this is taken, he's taken Orange Cassidy's gimmick, which he's always had, and even Jericho's able to elevate that gimmick by incorporating it into a match. And I, I believe that this match was Jericho's idea. Right. I believe this <clears throat> totally came out of his head, this one. But uh, he's taken the Orange Cassidy gimmick, he's combined it with something that he's done to almost give Orange Cassidy that kind of rub off of the, the bubbly yeah. stuff that he got over as well. Um, not to mention the fact that he made Cassidy look fucking amazing in this match. Mm. Um, whilst looking amazing himself, by the way, you know, I, I, I still... I still enjoy watching Jericho matches just now. I enjoy watching Jericho matches when Jericho got out of shape because he could still, yeah, he still had something about him that you believed um, in these matches. So I, I was really impressed with how he put Cassidy over in this match, and I loved the match itself. I thought the the ending spot was amazing. Just that image of Jericho just lying there back in the in the mimosa, or, and it's or, been memed quite a bit as well. Or, or as we call it in the UK, Bucks Fizz, um, <laughs> lying back there. So, nah, brilliant. Absolutely love this match. Brilliant stuff. Um, Scott, I will come to you with a, a concern that I have. Um, is that Orange Cassidy has got so much uh, TV time off of this feud with Jericho and his character has been elevated and developed from this feud with Jericho. And like Ryan said, a lot of that input will come from Jericho himself. Is there a risk that Cassidy could regress after this feud? Like, or is there a clear route to keep him up near the top echelon of that card going forward, do you think? He's already been booked for the for the next episode of Dynamite's face in uh, one of Sarah's favourites, Angelico. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's a character that needs to be overly featured because he'll always get a reaction when he does come out. Because I think if you overly feature him every week, then mm. that, that's when you're in the risk of people kind of getting sick of the Orange Cassidy card and what made him... So right. in the first place, I remember going into it because of the way the stipulations were laid out. Some people thought, well, Jericho will win the match by pinfall or submission, but Cassidy will throw him in the mimosa anyway. And I'm mm. glad that's not what happened because by Cassidy putting him in the mimosa, Jericho didn't take a pin or a submission. So didn't really lose that much. And in the process, they put Cassidy over by having him win the rubber match and winning the feud. And it helped make him a star, which was the, the goal of this feud, you have to believe. And yeah. I think 
case of this was he's good sometimes in small burst scarcity, but eventually you need to put him in longer featured feuds that go across multiple weeks and months. Mm-hmm. And I think this was the tester to show in the future they can feature Cassie in a long-term feed if they want to. I think Jericho was the test of that. And if he could work with Jericho, then mm-hmm. he could work with other people. It's it's just the thing. I can honestly see Cassidy as a future world champion, which might be a controversial statement because he, he does have that comedy edge to his character. And a lot of the times, comedy characters don't get pushed that high um, in American professional wrestling companies specifically. But I think I don't want to see them mess him up from this point because, like, Ryan brought up a good point a lot. That was Jericho's design. And when you take Jericho out of the equation, um, I just don't want AEW to drop the ball. That's my only concern. You know, but moving on, we have the main event, John Moxley defending the AEW World Championship against MJF. Daniel, you spoke about this briefly um, at the beginning of our All Out segment here. Just thinking about the lead up to this match with obviously MGF uh, getting the paradigm shift banned, uh, John Moxley having to go through MGF's lawyer um, in the lead up to this. How did you think the build to this main event was set up? It gave me kind of familiar vibes to Moxley's time in WWE with just one with that segment with the lawyer, just like, oh, thanks for checking that thing out on page 17. What? You never checked page 17? Come on, you're a, I should be a lawyer. Like, <laughs> it was great to actually get to see like, Moxley, you know, be himself and get a bit like more character time. Yeah. Instead, just walking in, be mad, leave, that kind of thing. <laughs> and. It was it was good to kind of have that kind of vibe again of him. Uh, MGF played it to perfection, mm. and, and even his lawyer. Let us give a shout out to his lawyer. His lawyer was a uh, bad uh, respect. Yeah, bad respect. Crap at reading res- contracts, but bad respect to <laughs> uh, his lawyer. Um, Sarah, one of the criticisms that our Lord and Savior, uh, uh, podcast King Stephen Wilson, has had of MGF is that, he's, <laughs> is, that his, um, is that his gimmick and his personality is better than he is in ring. That sometimes his feuds can end in a disappointing fashion because he's not as good uh, between the ropes as he is with the microphone. How did you feel about the overall quality of this main event? I would say it's I would say it was actually decent, like I've seen far worse matches. Um, but you always find that you can never have like that perfect balance. Like somebody's oh, like maybe apart from Chris Jericho, mm. um, that you're never gonna have somebody that is perfect in ring and also a perfect talker. Like you could you're mainly gonna swing one way or the other. Um, and also the fact that like MJF has not had as much experience than John Moxley. Um because let's just say that we all know John Moxley's repertoire and we all know his CV, mm. whereas MJF is, has some time to make a name for himself, but there's still a lot to be done. But we know that he can definitely pull off like a good gimmick, even if it's like doing his pretending to be uh, injured or doing his like presidential campaigns, like. That, that he's got down so you don't need to worry about that so it just means that they can go on and focus um, getting them developed like I would probably say have them probably take the TNT championship first mm. um, because they already had the whole dynamite diamond ring um, and then he can just it can work his way up like he even said he's going to be that face of the company 
when it's still going in 25 years time yeah so I'd, I'd say he's he's not wrong plenty of time <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Um, but obviously we had the end to this match as Daniel was brought up. Paradigm shift being hit, despite it be, being an illegal manoeuvre when Moxley catches MGF trying to use the dynamite diamond ring. Um, Scott, just to sum up, do you think right decision for Moxley to retain? And are you excited for his feud with Archer coming up? Feud with Archer, because I think... I didn't like the I didn't like the use of the paradigm shift because basically what Moxley's done here is he proved MJF right, and mm. that MJF wanted to ban the paradigm shift because he not only because he thought it was dangerous, but because he knew that was Oxley's main weapon of beating him, and he just mm. proved despite the fact we know Moxley's probably a more versatile wrestler than he's portrayed, he had to rely on the move even though it was banned to beat MJF. Mm. I think MJF's going to use this, and once Archer's got his shot, MJF's going to worm his way back into another title shot. And that's where MJF wins the title. Mm. And part of the reason I like the uh, kind of I didn't mind this much as much as some other people. And part of the reason I want MJF to beat Moxley is because well, it's also the same reason I didn't like Archer winning the battle royal because well, other than MJF, you look at John Moxley's title raid, Jake Hager, Brody Lee, Brian Cage, well, there's Darby Allen, but that's the one exception. And now Lance Archer, the majority of his title defenses, it's all just Mark uh, Moxley versus a big guy and Moxley mm. kind of having to fight from underneath and it's kind of maybe his title being a bit bland he'd beat him a bit it's kind of the run you'd think for a more generic base but Moxley's just not that character I like it I like it and uh, Ryan come to you to finalise here Scott's saying he thinks MGF's future has another world championship shot in, uh, in the horizon Sarah's saying perhaps the TNT title would be better where do you see MGF going immediately following this? A uh, couple of points to make here on this match, but I on on that point, uh, TNT I reckon is where MGF should be going to first. I think it was a a wrong move to take the the hype that he's had. You know, like you said, it's in terms of his performance in the ring compared to on the mic. I think his mic work is far superior than his ring work. Not that his ring work's bad. You know, mm. I, I enjoy his matches, but I think he he can hype up a match to be more than kind of what it delivers. And then um, I reckon he needs a, a kind of transitional title like the team. Mm. Um, even if they had gave him a tag title, kind of run as well with Wardlow at some point, just to kind of bed him into the, the, the title picture. Um, I reckon that'd be the kind of a better idea for, for him to go down. But just on the match, though, um, one wee thing I wanted to pick up on. So they were talking about the, the contract getting signed by the lawyer, um, about this this move being, being banned, the paradigm shift being banned. Mm. Um, regardless of the referee's input, surely that makes it the contract null and void. Surely the match is null and void. This is a big problem I have with AEW because we've seen second referees reverse decisions in the past in AEW. Mm. So you need to have consistency. Yeah, you need to and have the, consistency. And the thing is, so I'm saying that kind of flippantly about kind of null and voiding the contract, but I think the the thing when you compare it to to WWE when they have these contract stipulations, they don't really talk about the stipulation. You know, they just tell you we're going to have a match and here's a contract. We have a contract mm. signed and then we fight after it. But it's yeah. such a big point about this move being banned in this match. So surely the fact that the move was banned during during the Bells 
kind of null and void this whole match. Go by the fact that they've bigged it up. I know that's not. A, I know this is a kind of wrestling thing, right? And it's probably happened yeah. before. And somebody will probably point out to me that I it's wrestling and get a grip. But it, the fact that it was so prominent and the build up to it, I reckon maybe gives them something to follow up on afterwards. Maybe it can be a thing. You know, you know, you breach the contract. I want an match. You, you didn't expect. You know, stick to it. You know, that could be the route to go down. Yeah, I think that I think that's the thing, and uh, Scott brought it up as well. I think it will lead to a storyline thing going forward. I think, like Scott said, for MGF to worm his way back into the title picture. But if they do ignore it and they let the decision stand, I'd agree with you, Ryan, that it is a big inconsistency in the way AEW is booking these storylines. But oh, overall, all out, there was there was some good things to like. Uh, there was some things that we didn't like so much and some controversies. Um, but not not a terrible pay per view. But certainly with the standards that AEW have set themselves, it wasn't it wasn't their best outing. And I think our Twitter uh, votes uh, reflect that. But what do you guys think? Go and follow us: Eat Sleep Superlex Retweet fa- Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Leave us your opinion. Let us know what you thought of all out. But moving on to some news here, guys. Um, we got the news last week that WWE had released some rules relating to its talent interacting with third parties and said that it was giving them 30 days to cease all activities with third party platforms um, and it was noted that, uh, that the repeat violations could lead to fine suspension or indeed termination of contracts. Now there has been a follow up to this, Dave Meltzer has clarified the rules um, saying that talent will be able to maintain both Twitch and YouTube accounts but they have to do so using their real names and they have to notify the company about this also as well. Um, also they had a meeting um, earlier this week um, and it was reported that all of the things that WWE were saying were still very, very vague. However, it's understood that Cameo will not be allowed uh, to be a third-party platform that WWE superstars can interact or use going forward in the future. Uh, WWE are saying that this is to protect their brand, much like companies like Disney and Warner Brothers, who I believe actually hire the talent, though, is the problem. Uh, but we'll get into that in a wee second. Uh, Daniel, what's your thoughts on this move by WWE? I can understand them, of course, wanting to protect the like, to protect the trademarks of the specific characters. Hmm. But at the same time, now that they clarified it and they said that they can do it using their real names, it is a good thing for some of these people because I'll give you one example. So uh, Paige has been streaming very constant, consistently on Twitch for some time now. And given her subscriber count and her like views that she gets, Paige is pocketing like another 45k like mm. each month just for streaming on Twitch. Now, obviously to people on like to people on the outside looking in they'll be thinking, oh, but she's under a WWE contract. Like she'll be making fine. Just like Mm, that doesn't exactly guarantee that. I mean, some of these guys are looking at this. I mean, put it this way. Paige was limited on what she could do during lockdown. She was limited to at-home appearances on backstage. This was another source of revenue for her, another source for her to keep her house going. And this is the same for a number of people. Adam Cole, uh, Cesaro, uh, whoever else you want to think of. The main one that everyone was concerned about was Up, Up, Down, Down, because that was the big... Like product of the the streaming like thing that was going yes. on, but if it's if it's meant to be now that they do it under their real names, then that's fine because 
like Paige has updated it now to be under her real name. But I just hope it doesn't cause any more issues for anyone because I think mm. they're just getting a bit too power hungry now. And we've seen, um, obviously, there was rumblings that WWE superstars were upset about this, Scott. And obviously, we had outside people commenting on it. Uh, Renee Young uh, had a little dig at WWE and Twitter. And also CM Punk said, listen, guys, they're not going to fire you all. Do you think WWE's loosening, apparent loosening of this policy is down to the fact that they did get scared that this would be the straw that broke the camel's back for a lot of talent? I think they had to kind of step back and kind of justify what their position was because they were coming out under a lot of criticism mm. about it and like there were some instances where I think it was people being confused because like they're competing they're doing some of these under their WWE names which WWE technically own yeah you can understand that but some people were, some sorts of were saying that well they say they, they own their real names as well or something like that which you can't legally do even if the person's wrestling under their real name like say yeah. John Cena he you can't like own John Cena's name if that's the name he was Given at birth and that. Uh, mm. Something I wanted to bring. But he does, like, sorry to cut you off there, Scott. There was an article this, Cena actually talked about this, and he said that WWE do own his real name and he pays them money for any film deals that he does as well. WWE get a cut of John Cena's film deals. Which probably helps because given that their own movies don't make any money, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but, uh, something I wanted to bring up here is I listened to an interview uh, the weekend uh, with Matt Cardona. He was talking mm. to Fightful, and he said that the reason he and Brian Myers started the Major Wrestling Figures podcast and used their own names, mm. uh, when even though they were still under contract with WWE when the podcast started, is because, as he said, as soon as you put something out there, even if you did it on your own, if you're using your WWE name, they own it. He learned mm. that. He said, I learned that the hard way with Z Troll and Iron Story, because he was yeah. doing that as Zack Ryder. And quite soon, even when he started becoming pushed more into TV, and they started acknowledging each other and so that basically became theirs mm. and so he and Brian did that under as Mark Cordon and Brian Myers mm. now because now that they're released they can continue doing that podcast because it's now developing a loyal like, following whereas they did it as uh, Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder as soon as they got released they probably wouldn't be able to do that podcast and what are they yeah. to, like rebrand a different podcast yeah and that's that's the thing with it is that is this debate over what WWE owns as a company that claims that these talents are independent contractors but wants to treat them as employees and Ryan I want to bring this up to you obviously Andrew Yang uh, ran for the Democratic nomination at the presidential elections in the United States and he's been pretty vocal on Twitter about WWE's misclassification of its performers and in fact he did appear on CNN this week and did an interview that I've got a couple of quotes from here. He says that he's happy to work in Joe Biden and Kamala Harris's White House. I, of course you are mate. Uh, but then he went on to say that he thinks uh, the, the categorization of professional wrestlers as independent contractors is completely ridiculous and if he was to get a job in Joe Biden's cabinet it would be one of the first things he's tackling so with this sort of genuinely real threat from a high-ranking politician and the other negative publicity that WWE have gotten mainstream from John Oliver's episode of last week tonight happening within the last year this is not a good look for WWE right now it's not um, I'm no I'm not going to sit here and say that I agree with what they're, they're doing um, in terms of owning on the rights of things and stopping people making more money mm-hmm. uh, doing kind of different things on Cameo for example um, I don't think it's right I'd, I also 
at the same time, I'm going to kind of contradict myself at the same time. I actually understand it because if you if you own the, the rights to a name, a character name, for example, let's, let's ignore ignore John Cena, for example, right? Let's talk about Lana, who is the mm-hmm. one that seems to have been kind of getting the big, she's kind of been getting the blame for it almost um, mm-hmm. on social media, but it's not. It's actually not her fault. Everybody does it. Um, but she's kind of been taking the, the blame for it. The problem with somebody like Lana is um, the reason she's probably getting in trouble for this one and the reason people are probably blaming her is because she's done quite a lot of things in the past, um, kind of on social media, for example, that's got her in to bother. And mm-hmm. let's t- take the, the repercussions of that. People are seeing somebody doing something wrong and that person doing it wrong is Lana. It's not you know, whatever her real name is, it's Lana from WWE who's doing this wrong. And that reflects mm. badly on the company. Um, I'm not saying that people are doing something wrong on Cameo because, a, you know, 100% of them will be doing things totally fine, right? They'll be doing things completely fine. They'll be getting messages from fans. They'll be recording messages, sending it back to them. And that's it. You know, people, are, people are getting messages from um, their, kind of their favourite wrestlers I know somebody took the opportunity to shoot a shot with Alexa Bliss to ask her on a date and she was very nice about it um, which was great well done to her for not shooting that guy down and fair <laughs> play to him for, for giving, it a, giving it a shot but I think if any kind of scandal comes from that you know all it takes somebody to say one thing wrong in one of these messages and it can be taken completely wrong it can be misconstrued you know next thing you know it's blown up and WWE are now having to kind of defend herself or defend one of their their athletes doing something that they haven't got a say in but own the rights to um, again I'm not saying that it's right that they own the rights to, to mm. these people and what they do but I can kind of see where they're coming from on on this guy David I'll just to jump in there yeah. um, this guy running for whatever it is he's running for um, I've got a slight problem with that as much as we think that, that he should be sticking up for him um, why would you make that your one of your main things when you're running for you know, running for government, you're taking part in government, or you make that one of your main things. I, th- I think it's, I think it's more that he got publicity for it because he tweeted about it. Like it wasn't as if he came out and said, "This is like my main policy. Uh, I want to be in the cabinet for this." He just he seen it, and he's a wrestling fan, yeah. and he was like, "No, this is wrong. I want to make this change." And because he got the attention he got with the tweets, and now he's talking about it more in the mainstream. I think is the thing. I think he's right. You know, if he can do that, you know, and. As much as I, I don't care about American politics, I don't care about either of them. If I had to pick one, it'd be Joe Biden, because Donald Trump is Donald Trump. Um, mm. But I also don't, I don't take too much notice of that because I don't think that they're even going to win. <laughs> to be yeah. honest with you. So I, I think it's one of these ones where they could come out and say anything. They could come out and say absolutely anything they want just now. Yeah. Um, very, we'll not, we'll not get too political on it, but I don't believe a single word that a politician says across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we need to see, I, need to see what happens. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, moving on from that story, stay the I'll come to you with this one. Um, it is another release from WWE, and it is uh, the tag team, the offers of pain, Akam and Razar who have been released from the company. Um, there were reports that they were released when Rizar was injured. However, it has now been made clear that WWE waited until Rizar was fit um, and healthy 
and then they have released the offers of pain. Uh, people are suggesting that this is due, they were Paul Heyman projects and Paul Heyman was big in the offers of pain. But now that Bruce Pritchard and Vince McMahon are back uh, in the helm of Raw, they didn't see a future for them. Just what's your thoughts on the release of the offers of pain and what do you think will be their legacy when we look back at their WWE and NXT run? Ooh, it's very, very hard because like you had a lot of potential with mm. the authors of pain like when they were with Paul Ellering, um, like back in NXT. Um, but then again, like they were still like a new tag team, and it is no secret that Paul Heyman was a big, big fan of them. Given um, why they made the switch from NXT to uh, Raw very, very quickly into their WWE careers, um, I would think like the whole um, possibly like, waiting until. Um, was it Rizar that um, was injured? So it's that's like firing someone who's on maternity leave. Yeah, like it, it's exactly that. It's firing someone because they're unable to work. Um, so basic employment laws, like you, everyone knows, that you can't do that. So yeah. like they, they had to. If they were going to have to do it, then like they they could have just softened, like not even softened the blow. They could have just said, look. We're not going to like keep you on, um, just sort of soften the blow a little bit. But at the yeah. same time, like just basic employment laws, that just states it's like you can't even fire someone when they're technically unfit to work. Um, mm-hmm. It just makes them look even worse um, than you know firing a whole bunch of people during a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's one of those things, like you said, potential is the key word there, Sarah. And Daniel, we've seen what they could do. In NXT, they were, like Sarah said, they had they were brilliant under Paul Ellering. Do you think that if they brought him back, as it was rumoured to have happened, that that would have been brightened the future for the AOP? Given how they were, just like developed on the main roster, I don't know. I think at this point, had they brought Ellering back, like I think at this, I think damage was done. To be honest. Mm. Like they, when Ellen was with them first time round, brilliant. Then they did the weird thing with Maverick. I don't know what was even meant to be the point of it, but like I think Ellering was part of that secret sauce that made AOP such a threat in NXT, mm-hmm. and then splitting them from him just it, it fell apart. And if they said, "Right, you can come back, and we'll bring him back now." Damage is done. It's too late. Yeah, and I, th- I think I think you're right, Daniel, because I remember they were in NXT very fondly. I like some of the stuff that they did there um, a lot. I actually like them in the recent role uh, as part of uh, Seth Rollins' disciples as of his group. Um, but I do think you're right, Daniel. It's one of those things where hopefully they can go away, rebuild their brand, Drew McIntyre style, uh, and come back even be- better and brighter than ever before. But we're going to wrap off just looking at the week that was in WWE, looking at the highlights from their three main shows. And Scott, I wish I didn't have to come to you in this first point. Um, really, really wish. I really wish I didn't have to come to you in this first point. But something may have happened on SmackDown. Um, the golden role models have, have finally split up. They are no more. Um, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that did happen. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think it's the right time uh, to pull the trigger with this breakup, or do you think that they could have had this stretch out for a bit longer, perhaps uh, till the end of the current draft season, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> well, as I said on Saturday Live, you know, you've got Hell in a Cell coming up, mm-hmm. and given how long they've been building up to this, if you want to make Hell in a Cell a big blow off match ending, a feud ending match again, then you've got that. Then also, it doesn't look like, from what I've heard, that Survivor is going to be a cross-brand thing again mm. uh, this year because of the situation, because there's no takeover scheduled the night before that. Wow. So maybe they're going to do away with that and then have the them culminate at Survivor Series because that is at least them getting a match in a, a big four. Mm. I think once they lost like all but the SmackDown Women's title, it was only a matter of time. And you know, just the fact that it happened before the first episode of Saturday Draft Live of the season, they could even wait a couple of weeks, David. It's just, it just oh. makes this all the more funnier. It's, it's funny. It's not funny. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but Ryan, that wasn't the only big thing that happened in SmackDown. We did have. Uh, Roman Reigns explaining his relationship with Paul Heyman um, on the blue brand. It looks like uh, Roman Reigns is very much a heel now, but he will be having to face his cousin um, at Clash of Champions. Uh, Mr. Uso is the number one contender, replacing Big E, who was taken out uh, before that match could happen. What do you think about Reigns uh, and Heyman's relationship? And furthermore, what are, what's your predictions for Reigns versus Uso uh, at Clash of Champions? Oh, I thought um, I was a bit worried about this this mm. combination of, of Reigns and Heyman. I thought it was going to be just another kind of rehash of what they tried to do before with, with Curtis Axel, but it just completely failed. Um, yeah. But I've noticed that Paul Heyman has taken on like a kind of different character in this one from the from the Brock Lesnar advocate as well. It was mm. more of a it was more of a they chucked me to the side um and brought me back now and I'm kinda of a bit more appreciative of what's um kind of what's happening. So yeah. I, I like I like the way they're going with it. I think it's it's quite good. They're not they're not having it as if Range isn't going to do any talking. Um mm. it's almost just going to be like Heyman is is kind of doing the the kind of business side of things for him now that he's just kind of going to focus on the wrestling and that's about it in terms of facing uh, his cousin Jay so random very very random but I think we we spoke either in the group chat or a different show before mm-hmm. I just see this um, is it Jay so that he's facing in it yeah Aye, so I, th- I think Jimmy is is ready to come back any day now um, I can see something happening with the the bloodline Kind of become oh it was on Saturday Draft Live. Jack made the point um that you can see a kind of heel bloodline faction forming, mm-hmm. um, which I think would be brilliant. I think it's gonna it's been calling out you've been calling for Roman Reigns to do something different. Um I like the fact that he's not wearing that bulletproof vest anymore. So it means that when people punch him, um I can believe that it hurts rather than him trying to sell. Um I remember the final straw for me was a few years ago when he was trapped in the ropes and somebody was hitting his uh, bulletproof vest with a kendo stick and he was milking it as it was the worst <laughs> thing ever. Like, mate, it's built for bullets. You like it's, it's meant to stop you from dying from bullets. Why is that a fake kendo stick going to hit you? I'm meant to believe that, right? I love it. But but anyway, he's he's past that now. So hopefully, hopefully this is the kind of push that he gets now and he can kick on from that and hopefully get me plenty of points in the draft. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> good stuff, Ryan. Gets good stuff. It always comes back to the draft. But moving on to Monday Night Raw, uh, Sarah, we did have uh, obviously Randy Orton uh, versus Keith Lee. Uh, but this was the significance of this. It marked the return of one Mr. Drew McIntyre, who managed to deliver the first of his three Claymore kicks uh, to the number one contender, Randy Orton, getting a measure of payback on Orton this time round. What, what's your thoughts? Obviously, they had the match at SummerSlam uh, that was received, so it was a mixed reaction to it, I would say. Um, just looking at it online, I personally enjoyed it. But do you think that they'll be able to elevate what they did at SummerSlam come Clash of Champions? Do you think this week on Raw was the sort of secret sauce adding another level of intensity to the feud? I mean, the finish to the match at SummerSlam, you never saw it coming. <laughs> so it did play into the whole title. It's like, with all fairness, I don't think anyone would have called a backslide yeah. uh, to win it. So I think um, I think having this just sort of continue, because Drew did actually like stay off of TV mm-hmm. um, until this week, I think it did it did really help. Um, and like, I'm not going to lie, like Randy Orton's good, Drew is good, they put on good matches, I'm excited to see it. So... I'm happy. I don't really care. Yeah, happy days. Happy, happy, happy days. Um, Also, happy days for the Mysterio family. Uh, Dominic obviously defeating Murphy um, in the main event of this week's show. And then... Daniel, they sort of they had a nice wee family pinata party um, at the expense of one Mr. Murphy, who got absolutely hammered by not only Dominic and Ray, but by Ray's wife and daughter. Like it was, it was a bit of a surreal sight. But what did you think about the the feel good ending to Monday Night Raw? Yeah, nothing says feel good on modern day TV like a family dishing out not one, not two, not three, <laughs> not four, not five, not six, but eighty-six Kendall stitch shots. <laughs> that is how many they hit. WWE put the graphic up earlier on. Eighty-six Kendall shots between nice. the Mysterio family. Good. Ow! Good. I feel <laughs> sorry for Murphy. Canes together, stays together. The family that canes together stays together. Uh, I have to say, I think Raymond Studio's wife has a future uh, in this business. Some some very <laughs> nasty candlestick shots, but it was definitely it was a good it was a feel good end to Raw. And wrapping up our WWE recap, uh, Tuesday night was NXT. It was Super Tuesday two. Yes, Ross McLeod, it was a Tuesday. All right, if you want to pay attention Tuesday! to what's going on, it was a Tuesday, Ross, you idiot. Um, we had the. Obviously, last week we had the fatal four-way Ironman match uh, that ended in a tie between Finn Balor and Adam Cole. So it went this week uh, to a one-on-one match for the NXT title. Ryan, Finn Balor walking out with the top prize on NXT. Do you think it was the right call? The Prince is back. By the way, Mm. what a match this was. This was an outstanding match for, for these two. I love the fact that it kicked off the show as well. You didn't need to wait on it. It was like, mm-hmm. word go, boom, and, and you're in. I think the two of them work well together as, uh, as well. They they bounce off each other quite well. Um, the, the storytelling and the match, you know, the it almost went on just as long as the Blood Ironman match did. Yeah. <laughs> it, felt it, was, it felt like it went on for ages. Um, but no, great match, great decision for... Uh, for, for Finn Balor, you know, part of Team Boss Hackers as well on Saturday Draft Live. <laughs> so that's, me get, that's me get three champions in my team, team lads. 
Um, shouldn't he be four when Charlotte Flair comes back? And, and <laughs> fingers crossed for you in that one. <laughs> and reclaims all all four titles that she can possibly win. Wins um, both the men and women's Royal Rumble before yes. Survivor Series. She will yes. have it moved. Exactly. So she, <laughs> so she can win that for my team. But no, Finn Balor. That was a that was a decision. I think now this might spell the end of Adam Cole in NXT. Well, have, it's a big, uh, it's a big call. He's got nowhere to go now. Mm. I, I thought this before the Ironman match, and then that obviously gave him something else to be involved in. But where does he go now? Um, I actually thought what might have happened in this match was that Pat McAfee would have got involved to spur on mm. another week and a kind of few weeks worth of of television. Yeah. Um, but the fact that he didn't get involved, I'm now thinking where does that leave Adam Cole? It doesn't leave him anywhere. So I reckon we could see him very, very soon getting moved to, to Raw or SmackDown. Well, that's the question, Scott. Do you agree with Ryan? Is Adam Cole moving to Pastors New? And will it be with his undisputed era cohorts? Or do you think there's going to be a split in that faction? Uh, I think you, you call it the undisputed era together or you don't call them up at all. Mm. I think it's a case of that. And I can't see them not going up because, well, you look at what else they were doing on this show, you had them uh, strong and fish in a weird, weird thing with uh, Killian Day and Great Maverick, so I think if they're not going after championships, there's nothing else for them to do, so I wouldn't see why you shouldn't just call them out. I'd, I'd just give it a couple of weeks and don't feature retribution, let that just fade away into darkness as it should, and then say, yeah. oh, look, here's the faction you actually wanted, here's Undisputed Era. Yes. Let's be honest, retribution... What a honking pile of shit that is. <laughs> Their voices are disguised, but that tall one, that's clearly Dominic Dijakovic. You can't hide that voice. <clears throat> Definitely. And another person who is rumoured to be a, a member of Retribution is, of course, Mercedes Martinez. And she was in what was dubbed the Battle of the Badasses against Rhea Ripley in the cage match main event. Sarah, did you get a chance um, to watch any highlights from this one? And what do you think the future has in store for both of these women on NXT? Well, I sadly didn't get a chance to watch the highlights, um, just being like really, really busy today. Um, but from what I've heard, it was it was a really, really good match and I am excited. I'm, I've got the day off tomorrow, so I'm actually going to go sit and watch the entire show so I can like get that nice. feel. Um, because I also did not spoil anything for myself. I had to ask you guys for the, for yeah. the results. Um, I would say, like, Battle of the Badasses, I would love to see Shotzi Blackheart and Rhea Ripley go and challenge for the women's tag team titles mm. because you've not had them feature, like, predominantly on NXT where they keep saying it's supposed to be, like, equal brands. Yeah. Like, they've only it's only been defended, like, two or three times, if that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's only actually been twice that they've been defended at NXT. So I would like to see like the women's tag team titles sort of take a more bigger role as well. Like because you have got a lot of women, um, and plus you've got Mercedes Martinez and Aaliyah as part of the Robert Stone brand. So that again, that can just continue that sort of rivalry that they've got, as well as nice. keeping EO with a whole bunch of challengers. So that's what I would like to see. Just see what happens. Actually, let them have a chance. 
Yeah, see how it goes. Um, obviously, Daniel, the problem we have here is Mercedes Martinez, heavily rumoured to be a member of Retribution. Do you think her days in NXT are numbered? Uh, and what what do you think about Rhea Ripley? Uh, Sarah there saying perhaps women's tag team titles would be something to do? Or do you think we'll get her back in the ring with Io Shirai uh, more or less sooner rather than later? I would say probably... I'll be honest, I would actually keep Rhea being back in the main women's style picture for a little bit like mm. further down the line. Maybe take over around Rumble time, maybe WrestleMania perhaps. Uh, in terms of the possibility of a women's tag title shot, I, I can mm-hmm. see that. I'd, I'd, yeah. I'd be all down for that. Part of me is also thinking uh, and with regards to what you were saying about Mercedes, I really hope she's not in retribution. Like, there's yeah. a number of these people that they're saying, you know, or potentially they might be in retribution, but it's just people who either people have not had a lot of exposure to, or, you know, they're just pl- like plucking the names in, just this will be the first time you hear them. I don't want that. This is my main hope with retribution. I don't want it to be another nexus where it's all about one person. Mm. I would much rather the group are taken as a threat rather than, ah, oh, they're all going to be doing so-and-so's bidding. Like, obviously they can have a leader, but I want the group to be dangerous, not just the one guy. See, my thing is, I think it'll be Champa. I think it's going to be Champa who's going well, to be I know. revealed. I, I, was, I was having to edit Conspiracy Theory Episode 2, available now on the, <laughs> on the Pod YouTube channel. No, so, I, dis- uh, I, did hear I disagree. This. I disagree with you both completely. I don't think ah. it's going to be anybody who's active anywhere else i.e. it won't be Champa. Um, it might be Dijakovic because um, you know he's been off telly for a wee while. I think it's just going to be... I, I said this before, I reckon it's going to be a lot of people who might have been released before at the start of, at the start of COVID when they had that big kind of cull of staff. I reckon it's going to be some folk they've brought back that maybe didn't go on to, to elsewhere. For example, Drake Maverick, we thought he was going to get sacked, but they built that mm. in the storyline. I reckon it could be a case of people who have left and they've thought, right, okay, we've got a plan for this. So we'll release you just now, but you will be getting brought back within within your period of, of being able to compete. Um, and we'll put you back onto your, your contract yeah. again and then we'll build you into a storyline. I can see something like that happening. Who, who specifically though? Because there's a lot of them that haven't, you know, they've went on to other stuff and they're contracted elsewhere. So I, I'm struggling to think who who it would be. I've not. I don't have the. I don't have the list in front of me. I don't have a list of the names that we went. It's just something that's kind of been in my head. It's the way they've been talking recently mm. about you know being shoved to the side and being left out and blah blah blah. I can see. It may not be all of them. You know, it, it could be a bunch of people who have still got like nobodies. Like um, what's the the boy Mansour? He was kind of hot yeah. tip to be Mansour. in it as well. Somebody, yeah. who, somebody who they forgot about, you know, somebody who they only mm. wheel out at Saudi shows. Um, Rusev is a name that hasn't really oh, signed word. to another company. Rusev is, is one that I was thinking about, to be honest with you. The only thing that's put me off thinking about Rusev is that nobody is built like Rusev yeah. <laughs> in, in that group when I've seen them. Um, but. Obviously, he's went, he's went nowhere and Lana's still there. That could be a, that could be a simple one. Um, mm. So I, mm. I reckon it'll be that have a combination of people who might have been let go and people who are getting doing nothing. Just yeah, just sitting in their arse. Um, and that's what we have done. 
podcasting. A lot of sitting around and talking. It's uh, a and long the, show, by the way, isn't it? And yeah. The podcast is now finished, Jack. There's a lot to talk about in these right. central shows, but we've got through it. And Ryan got his chance to talk about QT Marshall, so he's happy. But thank you very much to my panel uh, for coming on today. Thank you to Daniel, Scott, Sarah, and, of course, Ryan Gallagher. Don't forget, check out all the other shows that are on Eat, Sleep, Super Place Retweet, including our feature shows. Talked about the AEW Women's Division show. And I will be hosting... Uh, the, sh- the next feature show on authority figures in wrestling so be sure and check that one out and don't forget Twitter, Instagram, Facebook all at Suplex Retweet go and check us out there uh, from me it's goodbye and from the rest of the panel Arrivederci Hello I am the GOAT David Campbell and I would like to invite you the listener to my new show over at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweets YouTube channel and that show is The Conspiracy Theory where once a month I will be taking a look at all the rumours and speculation in the world of professional wrestling and giving the most important opinion on the matter. My opinion. Yes, that's right. Head over to Suplex Retweet's YouTube channel. Like, share and subscribe where you'll get a lot of other great content over there such as the new hit show, Quiz Showdown. But don't forget, check out my new show, The Conspiracy Theory, on Suplex Retweet's YouTube channel. Farewell, friends.